Thanks so much for watching our show. We really appreciate the support. It costs a lot to produce, so we're asking for donations and pledges here on Patreon. Thanks again. Is there any distinctions in your opinion from, you know, the people that you've coached, you know, and I'm just going to give it sort of an arbitrary, you know, people in the top 20 in the world versus top 100 in the world versus top 500 or something, you know, break down some of those distinctions that you've seen that separates given similar, you know, similar sort of genetic ability, because my experience is you have to have the it as an athlete and the it is, you know, partially genetic and then partially, you know, there, there are other factors there, mental and, so, and, and emotional and spiritual, right? So, you know, take me through that, your perspective there. Yeah, so, I mean, let's just, uh, to kind of break it down um, a little bit into its components, let's just, for argument's sake, assume the physical and strategical abilities are equal of two or five or 10 given athletes. Um, then ob it's kind of obvious that the reason why somebody will perform better or worse is because of their mental abilities, right? Mm -hmm. So by those abilities, basically, um, I mean your ability to pay attention to what matters in the moment for whatever duration of time, mm -hmm. your ability to track details in real time so really being able to notice, um, you know, very subtle sensations in the body um, or changes um, that you're visually able to pick up uh, on your opponent, what they're doing, um, and your ability to allow pleasant and unpleasant experiences to come and go without trying to suppress or avoid the ones that aren't pleasant and without trying to cling to the ones that are pleasant. Yeah, that's really well said. The last one just reminds me of all the mindfulness practice that you've clearly done in your lifetime. Yeah, so those three skills in combination actually is what we define as mindfulness. Mm. So to put those three skills in short, just put words on them, it would be concentration, clarity, and coolness. There's mm. many, many other words for that, you know? Yeah. Um, but the words are like kind of secondary. The skills really are kind of what matters. Yeah, so if no. you like took that yeah. lens and you look at somebody like Nadal, just as an example, it's very apparent that if you look at his performance and his behavior over many matches, mm -hmm. that he has those skills further developed than most other athletes. For it's sure. kind of like, you, you can see it. You mm. can see how um, far developed his ability to deal with difficulties is in unpleasant situations, when he's fatigued, when he is down two sets, when he um, is not playing so well. The way he's dealing with that is very different than from an athlete, let's say, like Kyrgios who by no means is physically any inferior to Nadal. I mean, his physical abilities are off the charts. It's insanity. Insanity. But because he is so reactive yeah. to something. If something is really good, something great happens, you can see it. He's like, yeah. he's yeah. like yes, and it's celebrating. But that mm. also goes into the other direction. 
right? Totally. So if something is not going well, yeah. he completely loses it. Totally. So the ability to allow pleasant and unpleasant experiences equally, mm. not so far developed in his case. Now, right? Christian, how, how hardwired do you think that is? When I say hardwired, I'm talking not just genetics, but that early environmental conditioning to age 10, 11, 12, right? Sort of sets people in certain directions. And it's not that that, you know, obviously you're doing a phenomenal job of helping people grow, evolve, and change, but some of what you're discussing is partially hardwired. Yeah, mm, that's a good question. I mean, this really is just my opinion. I have not um, discussed that a lot with people who are studying that, nor have I read a lot of studies on that. Okay, so just as a upfront. But out of my experience, um, what I have noticed with athletes that I've worked with, so, um, you know, I have had the kind of fortunate situation that there's athletes that I um, kind of coach and like share their journey for many years. So yeah. you're a coach, you know what kind of the half-life is of a coach-athlete relationship. Um, and in my case, I have currently right now, half of all of my clients are with me for 10 years. Awesome. So um, to it. be able it, to see, you know, the changes over mm -hmm. 10 years is very different than if you're with somebody for half a year, two in years, your, four years. In yourself as well. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, and then some of the um, people that I work with, I started working with when they were in their mid twenties and the thirties right. and the forties. Others I've started working with when they were seven so or wow. 10. So the change from uh, from a kid from 10 to now 20 going to college, it's, that is so much change. Yeah. It's really yeah. like, it's like, it's one of the greatest joys in my life to be able to be no, with another human phenomenal. being and witness that, yeah, how they can develop um, and giving them some kind of um, information um, and that's not just intellectual information, also ex sharing experiences with them that might be beneficial for them for their future, how they develop. So this is kind of going where, you know, what you just asked. Yeah, no, so, it's phenomenal. That part of your journey is phenomenal because I experienced that as well. Phenomenal, Christian. But yeah. yeah, so coming back to that, you know, trying to answer that hard wiring question, you know, you've seen a lot here. You've experienced a lot. You've been part of these athletes' lives. What are your thoughts? <laughs> So um, it's exact kind of this, um, let's say hardwired, let's leave out the genetics. Okay, I really don't know anything about genetics. Um, but when it comes to what are you exposed to? Who are the people in your life that have an influence on you? And, and what, is, uh, what uh, environment are you in that is influencing you? So um, I can give an example with two kids actually. Um, and they are quite different from one another. One of the kids was uh, that both of them I'm coaching for 10 years. And uh, one of them is kind of wants to become a pro possibly, but definitely do college and is trying hard and was for 10 years doing everything that I have ever said. Okay. He was not like from the first moment on somebody who's like going over and out in terms of how hard they try and they do more than everybody else. Like a, you know, like a Nadal or a LeBron James or somebody, you have like those kind of people who from early onset, they just like 
are laser focused and that's totally. what they want it's their intrinsic like, motivation is just so off the charts yeah, that like yeah. there's almost no way they're not going to make it for sure because they have the it and then they have this and you're like okay you're kind of set if you don't get unlucky right right um so he was well not said. that but he was very um uh interested in just taking in this information um and no resistance really what we were talking about early on towards like working on this developing that whether it was physical or mental or strategical or whatever it was and he has developed and being from somebody who was really not that good as a little kid um where i would not necessarily have said um he will be able to go pro but i mean college if you start at a young age anybody can make really if you put in the time right um and now he got a scholarship and he has a good shot at going pro to the other kid um, who's a little younger, who had was playing tennis, but had no interest at all in anything else. Didn't want to do work outside of the court. Didn't want to do any mental performance training. Was not interested in doing any strategical work. Um, just playing tennis for fun, but very talented when it comes to that. But, so I never pushed it, right? When we're, again, kind of making full circle, it's like, I, it doesn't matter if I want more, if I can see the possibilities that this kid has for the future it doesn't matter if they don't want it but now for five six seven no, not actually it's 10 10 years that other kid has been exposed to this kid and me without pushing it and developing and seeing how that other kid is changing with all the work that they're putting in and seeing that they don't have to do it they can do it if they want and now 10 years in that other kid is 14 now okay so we started when he was four Wow. Is better than the other kid who is now 19 when he was 14, because I was with him for 10 years both, right? Mm. So um, flipping back, even though that, that younger kid was much um, more put less work in, yeah, is better at the yeah. same age than the kid that put more work in yeah. um, and has these is kind of using these abilities to be equanimous, to be compassionate, to try hard, but it was much less of a intellectual teaching, a theoretical teaching, and he learned it by seeing it, by having us as examples and really seeing how it works. He didn't have to understand it. He didn't have to believe it because we said it, that it's good for him. He saw it in real time developing over years and now it's just doing it too. Fantastic. Um, you know, to his credit, he stayed with you, which is phenomenal as well. But let's come back to the Nick Kyrgios, um, you know, example, because I think it's potentially a fascinating one. If you were to get him today, you know, could you, with all that physical ability, because I've seen him play at times where, you know, he was just completely unbeatable. His serve is so ludicrous that, you know, when his head is in it, I mean, the guy is just like, ridiculous and so if you were to take him today i don't know is he 25 i don't i don't know how old he is but you know if you were to get in there today could you you know help him become a federer nadal djokovic type or is it you know that hard wiring you know is it a little bit late at 25 um, or 20 you know what i mean so that was really yeah. what i was trying to get at i was mm -hmm. just curious you know it's pure curiosity on my my part you know i mean i know you have the experience I would answer it in the way that um, 
I think definitely he can develop these skills, these mental skills to be more, uh, to be cooler with uh, challenging situations and to right. pay more attention to what matters. That we know scientifically that is possible. You can develop definitely. those skills to, to degrees where you think it's almost impossible. It's hard mm -hmm. to even imagine how far you can develop these skills until you have kind of have them at a certain level. But it will only happen if you want it. And mm -hmm. he, as far as anything I have seen from him, is he doesn't want it. And there's let's nobody's just say place. Today, let's just say today he, you know, he started working with you and he changed his mind and he wanted it. Could you turn him into, you know, with all this physical ability that's arguably as great as the top three here, right? Could you turn him into one of those top three? I mean, and, he could turn it, himself into one of the top three. I could not do it, obviously. He could do it. Well, could I can you help? Just, I like, mean, excuse my language. Yeah. So could you help him become like, the, you know... The, yeah, uh, a, for the, sure. Okay. For sure. For sure. That is like no... And, well, then if I would say no to this, um, I would kind of go against what the scientific evidence is suggesting over the past decade, really. It's mm. not, uh, you know, but the, the big differentiator, I think, for everybody listening is like, does he want it or not? Because no, he will not be able to do this and nobody can help him if he doesn't want it. So and what is this wanting is just the in, intrinsic motivation, the desire to do it. If there's so much aversion for him to put in the time and like there's so much desire and craving for doing things that are irrelevant to tennis or even detrimental to tennis that switch will not happen that has to come from within he has to want it and wanting it is not just in the mind it's also feeling that motivation yeah. and well you know yeah, it's also though sometimes it can get a little deep right christian because sometimes people can say they want it right and then there's things like self-sabotage and deserving that are running underneath right so let's just say he changes his mind and he wants it he starts working with you and then you start to realize that as much as he seems to want it consciously there's some other processes running underneath in the background like you know deserving does he really deserve it you know what i mean does serena deserve to be the best ever right to actually win that next right match. You know, she got to a place where she stopped winning even though she was probably better, right? And that seemed to me more psychological and emotional than it was in any, it wasn't physical, right? It, yeah. it seemed to me like, do we deserve, I mean, even Tiger Woods, right? Like how much does he deserve, right? Because he seems to, you know, he never, you know, he obviously had the ability to go way beyond Jack Nicholas, right? But you know, uh, many times in his life, he did things that sabotaged it, right? So yes. do, you, do you address this sort of deeper psychological principles around self-sabotage and deserving in your processes of teaching mindfulness and bringing, you know, the full experience to the game with your clients? Well, I mean, if it really would go into the therapeutic and psychological realm, um, deeper then I would partner with um, a psychologist because mm. I'm not a psychologist. Um, of course, there's, you know, a gray area with certain things that you discuss, but mm. I um, specialize in developing the skills that allow you to deal with, are you deserving or not? And not with the intellectual reframing of like, where does 
I am not deserving this actually come from through the mindfulness practice that might unravel over time. And that is not uncommon. And it's uh, not a bad idea to pair these two things. So you have mindfulness based uh, psychotherapy, uh, you know, is really on the rise because of that. Mm. Um, But I really um, would not go very deep into that intellectual aspect of what you're talking about and discussing yeah, and that. I would, I would call that an emotional, not an intellectual one, right? That's emotional, right? So the yeah. ability to sort of understand that there's a part of us, like if you look at Tony Fee now, one of the best golfers in the world, you know, he hasn't really won, right? And mm-hmm. he gets, you know, inside the top 10 and even major championships. And then, you know, he somehow, you know, messes up a shot or pulls back. You know, at the highest levels, as you know, you can't afford to fuck up, right? And in golf, you know, it could be one bad shot. And next thing you know, you know, you're, you know, someone else is going to win, especially when you come to major championships. And, you know, it, it begs the question again, you know, given that he came from a poor background and everything and he didn't, you know, um, you know, he, he did it the hard way. You know, on an unconscious level, does he deserve that level of success, that level of happiness, that level of whatever it is that gets the people across that that do deserve? And I'm sure the reason I'm bringing this up with you is I'm sure on some level you've paid attention to this, even if you haven't directly addressed it. I mean, I think um, on the one side, uh, or even just for us, it's helpful to just uh, maybe define what we mean by when we are talking about emotions um, mm. and these experiences. So like when I am talking about that, then emotions are, as you know, a very complex subject, right? <laughs> so <laughs> the you have emotion concepts, which are like, I don't, would uh, prefer not to go into that right now and uh, <laughs> talk about that. Um, <laughs> But maybe then you we have can, maybe the, we can get you back for the emotional side. <laughs> but then you have um, the uh, possibility to kind of break down what the actual experience of an emotion consists of. So mm. if you um, divide one way to divide um, what a human being can, in theory, experience is you divide it into um, the senses. So you can divide it into visual, auditory, and somatic experiences. Mm. Okay, this is kind of how we work with mind size and unified mindfulness. Um, and then you further divide that into external and external experiences. So if you are, um, uh, if you're talking about an auditory experience, then you can be hearing external sound. You can be hearing my voice, or you can be hearing your mental chatter, an earworm, um, you can be hearing whatever it is in your mind, okay? So not imagining something, but it's just internal sound, external sound. The second category, visual experiences, are what you can see with your eyes, whether the eyes are closed or open. You can close your eyes and still see light, kind of, or darkness, for example. And with um, your eyes open or closed, you can visualize things. So you can see yourself at the beach or you can see yourself perform in a certain way you want. You can do that intentionally or it's just happening to you. So those are the visual experiences. So you're seeing things. And then you have somatic experiences, anything that you could feel in the body, whatever that is. And we just, for 
language sake, to be able to communicate easier, we also divide that into two um, categories, which would be physical body sensations, like if you're noticing pressure, pain, your breath, um, temperature, um, the form of your body, the posture, or emotional body sensations, or affect, um, where you're noticing feelings in the body, but you would not consider them um, physical in nature, but it's because you're happy, you're feeling something, or you're feeling anxious, you're feeling angry, and so forth. So what we can definitely say is if you're experiencing an emotion, um, or you're experiencing you're not deserving something, then it will fall into these six categories. And what I would do is I would help you break down and experience in real time what the experience of you're not deserving this actually consists of. Is the Ooh. experience of I'm not deserving this only something that you feel? It's not actually in your mind. You're only feeling undeserving. And your mind is pretty quiet or your mind is actually, you know, you're visualizing something that is independent of what you're feeling. Um, or is the experience of I'm not deserving to win this match actually a combination of auditory thoughts? So you're repeating a word or a phrase or an entire sentence over and over where you're literally saying to yourself, I'm not deserving this. Why should I win this? Um, this should not happen to me. Other people deserve this much more. So you're hearing that in your mind. You're repeating that intentionally or not. Um, you could be visualizing how you're not um, deserving. So you should not be experiencing this. So you're seeing certain things, whether that's an image or whether that's more like a moving uh, frame in your mind or an actual movie in black or white or in color whatever it might be and you're feeling it so the practice what i would do is to help the person experience that in real time so they get real insight into that's what it's like to be experiencing this particular emotion concept and then you will because of the increased clarity or awareness of what is actually happening to you it is easier to be equanimous with it, to allow that to be there. And then you are not suppressing it or avoiding it. You're not trying to understand it. It will be a side effect nonetheless because you're starting to track it in real time. You're starting to notice, oh, that is going through my mind when I feel like I'm not deserving. And that is where the feeling is. Most people, when they say, I'm angry, they cannot tell you more than three words about being angry. They have no idea about what angry actually it's being so angry true. actually like <laughs> consists of. It's like, I'm just angry. I'm angry. I don't know. Like, just leave me alone. Rather than, <laughs> well, are you feeling tension? Do you feel it? So being um, really clear about what an experience is like um, mm. makes it significantly easier to be equanimous with it. And that is something that um, the scientific evidence also is suggesting now is that if you can train those three skills in combination concentration, clarity, and coolness, they improve faster than if you train them in isolation. If you do an isolated concentration exercise, or if you do an isolated uh, exercise where you're trying to be equanimous with something.
I love it, Christian. Um, my assistant's saying we have to wrap up here, but I feel like we could probably go on for a cu another couple hours. So thank you again for um, participating with me, Christian Straka. Obviously a very talented guy and a good guy and a mental game coach and an entrepreneur and a former tennis pro. Thanks so much. Thanks for watching See It and Feel It with Dr. Brett and stay tuned for part two of this interview. Remember to like, subscribe, and share with a friend.